Our reading is from Luke 3, 1 through 20. If you have a Bible, uh, please look that up. Luke is going to introduce us to John the Baptist today. And please, would you stand for the word of, the God, the word of God? In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachmatus, Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then shall we do, the crowd said. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they said, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, God exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. This ends the reading of scripture. You may be seated. Thank you for that reading. That was fantastic. Sometimes you just got to pick the right guy for the right passage. Thank you. So, uh, how's that for a fall kickoff? 
Right there, right? Are we ready? Uh, so this fall, we're going to go through Luke's gospel. And Luke's gospel will actually take us through the fall into the winter all the way to Easter Sunday. So we're going to watch the life of Jesus. It's going to be a pretty long series, but there's going to be a lot of variety. So I don't think it'll feel at all monotonous. I promise you that. Uh, and so just to remind us of where we've been, we began this year, we looked at uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, which I called this description of the Jesus life. This summer, we looked at the person of Jesus through the Old Testament prophecies and narratives and saw how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those. And now we look at the personal work of Jesus in his actual earthly ministry through the Gospel of Luke. And we're starting in chapter 3 for two reasons. One, um, because we'll go back to chapter 1 and 2 in December, because those are the, the Christmas birth narratives, so we're not going to start there in, in uh, September. Uh, but the other reason uh, that we're starting here is because I think John is, is calling people to a certain posture of heart that we're going to talk about today, that I think is the perfect posture that one has to have if you're going to encounter Jesus through uh, the Gospel of Luke. So that's really why we're starting here. This is, this is the tone that I want to set for this series. And let me just tell you on the front end, many of you have read uh, Luke's Gospel and other Gospels many times over your lives. Here's my hope and prayer for this series, is that in, in small ways and big ways, we would all see Jesus afresh this fall. I was reminded of that book. Uh, remember that book that Philip Yancey wrote maybe 20 years ago, The Jesus I Never Knew? There's this guy who, he grew up in the church, he's a journalist though, and he, he thought, what would it be like to try to just scrap all the, the images I've had of Jesus through childhood, and the, the, you know, all, all that I've kind of, the categories I put him in, what would it be like as a journalist just to approach these gospels with a clean slate and just take them at face value? What, what kind of a person would emerge from these gospels if I did that? And that's really my, my hope and prayer for us. Uh, some of us have been at this for, you know, 60 years in our Christian faith. But my hope is as much as we can, and I know this isn't totally possible, but as much as we can, we can start with a, a blank slate. I wish we could just take every literally physical picture of Jesus we've ever seen, um, all the categories that we've put Jesus into, all the ways we've made his life make sense of how we live our lives, all those ways, and be able to just scrap that and, and simply read this book at face value, if that's possible, and ask what kind of a person emerges from Luke's account. Like if I just take his words and his actions, what kind of a person emerges? What does he care about? What's he all about? That's what I want. And then what does it mean to follow him? What does that actually look like according to Luke? Not according to how I've fit Jesus into my lifestyle here, but what, what emerges from this actual book? That's my prayer, that in some fresh way, we would see Jesus and we would recognize the call that he places on our lives to follow him today. All right? So, um, and there's a posture necessary to do that. And we're going to, and John invites us, uh, invite is maybe a too soft of a word. He, he warns us, he calls us, he provokes us into that posture this morning. And so we're going to look at that. Um, uh, this book is, I'm going to skip this. this. This book is written, of course, by Luke. Uh, Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul's and some of his missionary journeys 
Luke, uh, we know him as a physician. He's a Gentile. He was not an eyewitness of the events of Jesus' life. I doubt that he grew up in um, in Israel during Jesus' life. And so what he has done is he has gone back and he's carefully investigated. He's talked to the eyewitnesses. And he, what he's wanting to do is provide an orderly account of the life of Jesus so that we can know who Jesus is and we can understand the hope that we have in him. So that's why he writes this book. Um, today we're starting with the ministry of John the Baptist who prepares the way for Jesus. Interesting to me, um, you read the four Gospels, lots of variety in what the Gospel writers choose to talk about. But all four of them begin with John the Baptist. Every one of them thinks that the ministry of John is incredibly important. That you can't fully understand the ministry of Jesus unless you see John as the forerunner to Jesus. So today we start by looking at this wild man in the wilderness, John the Baptist. And I want to just ask three questions today. First, who is he? Second, what, what's his role? And then third, what is his message? And then within that, there's this posture that I want to call us all to at the beginning of this series in Luke that he calls us to. And we'll end by talking about that. All right. So um, let's talk about first, who is John? Uh, verse 2 tells us, look at verse 2. Uh, we're, we're told that the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. So just a reminder, John is the son of Zechariah. And you remember the Christmas narrative, the birth narratives. You have Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, right? They were this faithful Jewish couple. They were not able to have children. And, and they were sad about that. And then the angel came to Zechariah and said, God has heard your prayers. And he's going to give you a child. His name will be John. And he will be a joy to you. Uh, and he is going to be great. His ministry will be great. And he will come in the spirit of Elijah. He's going to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And so now here John is at about 30 years old, and we get to see what his public ministry looked like. Uh, we also learn from that verse, he is not just uh, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but that, look at that phrase. We learn that he's a prophet, okay? The word of God came to John. That is, that is prophetic formula right there. Anytime you hear that, that's introducing you to a prophet. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Okay, here the word of the Lord came to John. He is going to be God's spokesman. He is speaking God's authoritative word to his people. And John is like, I think, the ultimate prophet. Okay, I mean, this guy was like prophesying in the womb. Okay, I mean, this guy, like, prophecy is in his bones, right? Right. The, 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 um, the angel said he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit at birth. You remember the story when May, Mary is pregnant with Jesus? She comes to Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John, and John leaps in the womb at the presence of Jesus. So prophecy is in this guy's blood. It's what he does. He's the ultimate prophet. He's very advanced as a child and as a prophet. Um, and he's out, it says, he's out in the wilderness, out by the Jordan River in the wilderness, meaning he's, he's off the grid, okay? And I love, um, you know, tough reading to, to take, those first two verses, right? You get this list of all these leaders. Um, you, get, you get the political leaders in Rome. You get the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And what we're learning is God is doing something outside of the institution, okay? Outside of any of those people, out in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, God is doing something fresh, and we're going to learn that those institutions have become corrupted at that time. And so God is doing something fresh in the desert. And people are coming out in droves to see this, this prophet. After hundreds of years of no prophets in, in Israel, now finally a prophet emerges. And so people are leaving their daily lives for a couple of days to go out and hear this man preach. So that's who he is. Uh, he's a prophet. He's the son of Zechariah. Uh, second, what is his role? His role, I think, we see in verse 4. Take a look at verse 4. 
where Luke quotes the book of Isaiah. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, and here it is, prepare the way for the Lord, right? That is John's role, right? It's to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of their Messiah, Jesus. It's a role of preparation, getting people ready for the coming of Jesus. And that role is cast uh, in the light of two prophetic Uh, books in the Old Testament. The first is, of course, Isaiah that's quoted here. This is Isaiah 40. Let me read the full quote. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Okay, in Isaiah, the context is God's coming salvation. After years of judgment, after years of hardship in Israel, finally God's comfort, his consolation, and his salvation is coming to his people. And so he's saying, get ready for the coming of God's salvation. Whatever's in the way of the Lord, let's, let's provide a smooth place. So if there's mountains, we've got to lower them, right? If there's valleys, we've got to raise them. If there's crooked ways, we want a straight way so God's comfort and his salvation can come to the people. And of course, in John's context, after hundreds of years for waiting the Messiah, finally Messiah is coming. And so, so John is saying, get ready, make a, a straight path for the coming of your salvation. Now, the other Old Testament prophet that uh, John, was, John is echoing is actually the prophet Malachi, the final book of the Old Testament. Uh, and there, the context is not so much salvation, the context is potential judgment, That with the coming of the Messiah, depending on the people's response, there could be judgment coming for them. Let me read to you uh, from Malachi. These are some of the last words of the Old Testament. I will send my messenger, this is the Lord speaking, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. But look at how his, his coming is described. But who can endure the day of his coming? For he will be like a refiner's fire. This should sound like John. Or a launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Yes, the Lord is coming, but his coming is going to be gnarly. When he comes, he's going to clean house. He's going to purify the place. And so you guys better be ready. And it seems like when you hear John, this is really the, the note that he's sounding more than the salvation note, isn't it? Now let me jump, to, um, jump down to uh, verse 16 for a second. Look at how John describes the coming of the Messiah. John answers them. I'm baptizing with water, but one uh, who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He's so much bigger, more powerful, more important than I am. And look at this description. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I baptize with water, John said. It's just a physical cleaning of your outward body. But he is going to, when he comes, he's going to immerse you in God's Holy Spirit. In God's own powerful presence, he's going to dunk you in that. He's going to purify you from the inside out, the way fire purifies metals. Okay? That can be a painful process. Look at what he goes on to say. Verse 17, speaking of the Messiah. This is a farming image. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay, when Messiah comes, he's going to clean house. He's going to clean shop. Like a farmer who's taking grain, right, and with the fork and, and, and lifting it up and the chaff is blown away so that the heavier wheat is kept. The wheat is what you want, right? You store the wheat in barns. The chaff you burn up. 
so also when Messiah comes, there's going to be a great division of people depending on their response to the Messiah. Some will be gathered up into his kingdom. Others will be destroyed by fire if they respond inappropriately to him. So get ready, John's saying. Now let me just stop right there, what I just said, and ask a really important question. Is John, is John right about that picture of Jesus? Yes? Okay. He's right. That's what Jesus comes to do. Sure. I agree. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're told that the word of God came to John. So I think we can assume what he says is accurate. We're told he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I, I will say, when Jesus shows up, his earthly ministry doesn't quite look the way John expected. And John's going to really question even if Jesus is the Messiah throughout his ministry. I think John is expecting a kind of cleaning of house that Jesus is not doing, at least in his earthly ministry, okay? Uh, he's, he's looking for someone to, you know, kick booty and take names, right? And, and, and Jesus isn't doing that. There is a great division of people by Jesus, but that kind of fire and judgment that John's expecting is not coming. And what I think is happening is that with John, like so many of the prophets, they're speaking about the future, and they can't even themselves always understand the timing of what's going to happen. What John has no idea is going to happen is Jesus is actually going to come twice, and no one's expecting the Messiah to come twice. He's going to come first primarily to bring salvation. But he will come again. That's still future to us. And he will come as judge. And there will be a great division of people. And there will be deep and eternal consequences to that division. So John is right in essence. I think he doesn't understand exactly the, the intricacies of the timing. But I think that's an important uh, just question to ask. All right. So um, there's John. His, uh, his person and his role, uh, his strategy, he's, you know, he's a little different than me. Subtlety is not John's strength, as you maybe see. He's kind of street corner preacher guy, right? I'm going to provoke a crisis in people. I'm going to force them to make a decision. All right. So here's where I want to zero in uh, this morning. What is his message? His role is to prepare. What is his message? If he had a word, what do you think the, word, the message would be? Repent, right? Repentance. Look at verse 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the message. This is the posture that I want to call us all into at the beginning of this series in Luke. A posture of repentance. Now, that is an old-fashioned word for some people. It's a negative word for other people, so let me just talk about it for a second, okay? Repentance is not Biblical repentance is not fundamentally about feeling bad or guilt or shame or wallowing in bad feelings. That's not the essence of repentance. The essence of repentance is this, being willing to change your mind about life and how you're living it. Biblical repentance is being willing to turn from living a certain way and turning towards living God's way. Biblical repentance is about taking your heart, being willing to take your heart and lay it open before the Lord with all of its desires, all of its yearnings, all of its its, uh, pursuits and saying, Lord, I'm willing to let you redirect my heart, reorient my heart so that it's directed and oriented around you and your desires, and your values, all right? That's what repentance is. It's an open heart before the Lord, a willingness to have our minds changed, a willingness to turn from living a certain way to living God's way. That is what repentance is, and that is what is absolutely required if we're going to read Luke in a faithful way. All right, so let's hear John. You guys, you got some, uh, you got some, uh, 
Fire and judgment, ready? Are you ready for a little bit of this? Okay. Let's hear John, I loved Kim's reading, in his own words, right? Um, Verse 7. How's this for the start of a uh, message? You brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham. I liked your, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, I think the key... Uh, dynamic here is to appreciate what John says when he says to these people, um, don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. And what, what John is doing is he's getting at a fundamental posture of the first century Jewish heart, especially the Jewish leadership of the day. And it, here's, here's their posture. They had a posture of, of presumption and entitlement that went like this. We're Jews. We're God's chosen people. We're in. Everyone else is out. We're Abraham's children. God owes us his blessing and his favor because just by right by birthright. It's a posture of presumption. It's a posture of spiritual pride and, and, and entitlement. God owes us. We're the Jews. We're the blessed people of the world. And uh, John provides three, I don't know if you caught them, each of them, three images in that, those short verses that... Uh, absolutely undercut that assumption. And they're, they're, they're intended to be shocking, okay? There's an image of snakes, there's an image of stones, and there's an image of trees. Did you catch each of those? Let me just talk you through these for a second. I've even got images, okay? Anyone with a snake phobia? Close your eyes right now. All right, first image, you brood of snakes, meaning you children of snakes, Okay? He's saying, I don't care who you say your biological father is. Abraham is your father. If your hearts do not display a, a posture that Abraham had, I, I don't care what your heritage says. If you're living lives where your hearts are not in line with God and his plans, guess whose children you really are. Right? That's pretty offensive. Uh, to a first century Jew. The second image is the image of stones, right? Out of these stones, God can raise up children. He's saying to them, hey guys, guess what? You're actually pretty replaceable. Like, <laughs> right? Like God, God could raise up children anywhere. That's what he did with you. You guys were slaves in Egypt. He just kind of brought life where there was no life. He can do that anytime he wants. He can take stones and make children for himself. You guys aren't irreplaceable. You're replaceable, okay? These are offensive things to say. Uh, thirdly, this image uh, at the end, wow, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, the Jewish leadership mindset is the default posture of God towards us is blessing and favor because we're Jews. That's the assumption. And, And John is questioning that assumption. Actually, the default posture is this. There's an axe at the root of the tree. It's ready to cut trees that don't bear fruit. So the way to be God's people is not by relying on your Jewish heritage. It's by producing the kinds of fruit, having hearts that are fruitful, living lives of humility and justice and mercy and love and compassion. That's what makes you the people of God. So these very uh, offensive images, but all there to get them to repent. Turn from the way you're thinking about life. Turn towards God. Be the people of God. If you want to be Abraham's children, 
have hearts that reflect your father, Abraham, because he had a great heart before his Lord. Not a perfect man, but he had a great heart. So that's the call. Repent of this way of thinking and, and being. And he's asking them to do two specific things uh, as, as signs of repentance. The first, of course, is to be baptized. Okay, I found this um, fun image of a guy. This is uh, baptism in the Jordan River, which is where he's baptizing people. And that's what John is calling them to do. Come here, let me dunk you, let me immerse you in the Jordan River. It's a symbolic act. The act is saying, hey, just as my body gets dirty and water washes me clean, I'm acknowledging that my heart is dirty. My heart is not perfect. I'm broken and messy, and yet I want to be washed clean. I want to reorient my heart around God and his kingdom so that I'll be ready for his Messiah. It's a symbolic gesture of repentance. That's the first thing John is saying to do. And then the second thing is, take a look at verse 8. This is more important, I think, than the baptism. Verse 8 says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Change the way you're living your lives as a, as a demonstration that you truly have repented. Um, fruitful lives. That's what, he's, that's what God is looking for. And I want to read the list. Look at um, how he describes what a fruitful life, what a life of repentance actually looks like. Look at verse 10. The people ask, okay, so what does that look like? Like, what, what do we actually do? John answers them. Verse 11, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors, I love the even there. Even so, lots of uh, strange and... Uh, Crazy people are coming out, sinful people, and according to the first century Jewish mindset. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Uh, soldiers uh, came and said, what do we do? Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. All right, so what do you notice about that list of what a fruitful life looks like? Okay, let me tell you a couple things that I notice. What's that? Honesty, honesty and integrity is a, is, is a core part of this. Honesty, integrity. Um, I notice uh, none of those are particularly what we call religious or spiritual fruits, right? Like he doesn't say, hey, you guys, need to, you guys need to fast. You need to be praying more. You need to do more Bible study. You need to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. These are all very <laughs> earthly, human, mundane, kind of daily life stuff. This is about how you treat people. Um, this is, you know, about how you engage in your work. Very normal human activity. Uh, the other thing to notice is they actually, every single one of them has something to do with money or possessions, right? This is the, the real stuff of daily life. It's interesting in verse 19, um, he rebukes Herod because he's basically sleeping with his sister-in-law, all right? So he's, he's calling out sexual immorality. So when John says repent and bear fruit, what does that look like? He's talking about things like sex and money, okay? This is, the, this is the real stuff of daily life. This is not the religious stuff that we do on Sundays. This is how we actually engage in life, in relationships, our integrity. That's what he's, that when he says this is what repentant lives look like. This is not the kind of stuff you can, you can just hide on a Sunday. This is the stuff of your life. And again, he's not saying, do these things to earn God's favor. He's just saying, no, these, this kind of life is a life that is reflective of a heart that is truly repentant, willing to be changed by God. 
Uh, So there he is in all his glory, John the Baptist. I was thinking this week, you know, imagine if John showed up today. (laughs) Imagine if this guy showed up in the Mojave Desert and, and all of Orange County started driving out in our cars out to see this man. We had our cell phones out, and we're, we're, we're taking video of this guy, and he's this weathered guy. You know, what would he say to the church of Orange County today, I wonder? And I'm not going to try to film, and I'm not gonna, but it's, it's an interesting thought to imagine. Like, what would that conversation look like? So here's, here's what I want to do. I, I want to end our time today by talking again about repentance. Uh, this core <laughs> biblical posture um, that is asked of every human being, certainly anyone who wants to follow Jesus. And again, what it is, it is living with these hearts that are open to God, open to God disrupting our lives, changing us, transforming us, having something to say to us that's going to change the way we think and the way we act. It's about being willing to change our mind when we're, when we're confronted with this truth, being willing to turn from certain ways we're living or not living and turn towards a way of life that is more oriented around Jesus, around our Heavenly Father, God. And what I want to say is repentance is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's not something to be scared of. It is one of the quintessential qualities of a Jesus follower. And not just a one-time deal, but that we have these hearts that are always in a posture of repenting because we're never perfect. And so we're always in that posture. Um, let, me, let me just say this. Um, Luke, in particular, has some really interesting things to say about repentance and a posture of repentance. That how, how vital and how important it is. Let me show you one other passage. Uh, this is uh, chapter 7, I think. Um, well, I'll just, I'll just read it. Jesus has spoken. He said some words that are challenging. And then it says this. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. And what you're seeing is that, that repentance prepares the way for the Lord. That when we have hearts that are soft and open to being changed and and disrupted and confronted, by definition, that prepares us for Jesus so that when he speaks into our lives, we experience him. We're not closed off to him. We're malleable. We're willing to walk with him. Repentance is the posture that we bring that prepares the way for Jesus to make his home in our hearts and minds. And so that happened with so many of the crowds and it did not happen with the Pharisees. And what you're going to find out to that point in Luke's gospel, we're going to find out the darndest people repent. (laughs) The people you would, like notorious sinners, notoriously bad people, tax collectors, prostitutes, Roman soldiers and centurions, these people that that are... broken, messy, uh, violent people even, they repent. They change. They're willing to change. And the people that you would most expect to repent don't. The people that have been studying God's word all their lives, uh, the people that have been preparing for the Messiah, that are, that are the leaders of the religious community of that day, they, they are surprisingly unwilling to change their thinking in their lives when Jesus shows up. 
The other thing we'll find out about repentance is that Jesus loves repentance. Jesus celebrates repentance. He loves it when people are willing to to have hearts that are soft and change and come to him. And here's what we're going to learn in Luke. Um, This is going to sound weird the way I say it, but sin doesn't bother Jesus all that much. Okay? It really doesn't. And what I mean by that is sinners, people who are sinners, that doesn't bother Jesus. He has no problem hanging out with sinners. And he hangs out with some really messy, as I said, greedy people, uh, violent people, uh, very immoral people. He has no problem doing that. And they love him for it. Um, unrepentant sin bothers Jesus a lot. Amen. Amen. <laughs> When there are people who are living a certain way and they're so hard and they're so set in their ways, they're unwilling to repent, acknowledge it as sin, and change. He doesn't have a lot of room for that. He has a lot of strong words for those kinds of people. Okay? But sin in and of itself, he, he's fine with. What he's looking for is repentance, not perfection. Jesus' people are repentant people. They're not perfect people. Okay, the, the most famous parable in Luke is the parable of the prodigal son. Right? you got these two sons. And the one you least expect to come around. The one who just, you know, just, I, don't, I was going to use a bad word. Not, uh, <laughs> just, uh, you know, messes his father's estate and leaves and lives this life of just recklessness and selfishness. Right? There's this beautiful moment where, of repentance where it says, he came to his senses. He comes to his senses and he literally turns and he turns back to his father's house. That is what repentance is. And this son who has worked for his father all his life, who has never left, never done anything wrong, he's outside at the end of the story with an unrepentant heart, missing out on the party. Okay? So Jesus' people aren't perfect people. They're just repentant people. And Jesus loves repentance. And God the Father celebrates with his angels when his children come clean and to come home. And there's all sorts of room for that. You always receive welcome arms the minute you repent. So here's the invitation at the beginning of Luke's gospel. It is to enter this series with a posture of repentance, all right? And we're not first century Jews. Jesus isn't coming in the flesh in the next couple weeks, at least to my knowledge, okay? But we're gonna encounter Jesus through his word. I promise you. We will encounter his life and his teaching. And his words, I promise you, will confront you. They will surprise you. They will offend you. They will comfort you. They will encourage you. They will provoke a crisis in you where you're forced to make a decision about what you're going to do about that. And the question will be, will we have repentant hearts? Will we be willing to have our lives disrupted by Jesus, not just our spiritual lives, but our, our actual day-to-day lives, our work, our money, our relationships. Are we willing to have those disrupted and changed and transformed or not? And here's the other invitation. Do not rely on your Christian heritage this fall, okay? Like those Jews who were relying on their Jewish heritage, don't say, I've been through Luke 10 times. I got Luke. I grew up in a Christian family. I've been in the church for years. I've served on boards. I've been serving for years. I'm around Christians all the time. Christianity is what I do. I, like, Christianity is in my blood, okay? I, I, I get, I, I've got categories for all these parables. I've got, this, I've got a way to make this work and for my life to go on as it is, all right? <laughs> the invitation is not that. <laughs> the, the invitation is this. 
to have a heart that says, I want to be a Jesus person. Um, not 10 years ago, not yesterday. I want to be a Jesus person today. Now, as I move into this season of my life, and what that means is I'm open to having my heart laid bare before these words. I'm open to having my mind changed by Jesus. I'm open to having my life disrupted by Jesus, not just my spiritual life, but my actual day-to-day, Monday-to-Friday life. And if we do that, I promise you, this will be a very fruitful, encouraging, comforting, um, transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. So that's the invitation, to come with repentant hearts. And I invite myself (laughs) into that very same thing. And then we get to go on the ride together. All right, so I want to pray, and I'd like to spend some time just kind of leading us so that we're offering our hearts to Jesus at the front end of this message. So if you would bow with me, and let me me just lead us in a time of prayer. So before I, I mean, let me just say this. Uh, My experience is that two things keep people from repentance, uh, pride and fear. (laughs) And so what I'd like to do right now is just lead us in a time where we offer both of those things, our pride and our fear, uh, to the Lord. So, Lord, on the front end of this series, we, we want to come with just hearts that are, are, and minds, too, that are open to you, that are soft and malleable, willing to be changed, willing to be healed, willing to be confronted. And, and I know for all of us, pride is one of the things that gets in the way of repentance. This posture that says, I've, I've got things kind of figured out, like I kind of got it figured out already. And I'm in control, and um, to admit that I've been going the wrong way on something, it just is humiliating. And that, that pride is in every single one of us. It takes different forms, but it's all there. And so we want to just lift that pride to acknowledge that there is pride in us that says we've already got things figured out, and our way is the right way. So, Lord, we, we offer you that part of us. And we just ask your Holy Spirit to move and soften, to prepare uh, the ground uh, for a seed that you want to plant in us that's going to change us. We do not want to be like those religious leaders in the first century who had every category for everything and had their lives so ingrained that they were unwilling to change. That's the last thing we want to be. So Spirit, soften us. Humble us. Free us. And Lord, the other thing, and I'm guessing even the the thing even more than pride that gets in the way of repentance for most of us is some kind of fear. And the fear is, I mean, if we give you freedom to disrupt our lives, what what, what are you going to do with them? If you're going to plant a seed in our hearts, to let that seed grow. We don't know, we don't know the plant that the seed will, we can't anticipate what it would look like, how big it's going to get, or or what kind of a plant it's going to be. And to be repentant means, by definition, to be open to a future that is different and unknown, and that we don't have control over. And that's, that's, for me, very scary. I do not like not being able to predict where things are going, or not having control over where things are going. There's fear, there's anxiety, And we all experience that in different ways. 
And so, Spirit, would you, even today, would you just bring comfort, bring this strong assurance that to open ourselves to you is really the safest thing we could ever do. It's to, to turn to you is to turn to the, into the arms of a father who, who loves us and wants the best for us and, and is only desires to heal and renew and restore us. So free us from fear to let go of the hold that we have to be open to change as you may want to lead. And we want to try to change ourselves. This is about your change. And I pray for each one of us right now in this room that maybe there's something in our lives now that has nothing to do with Luke's gospel, but that we know right now some sin, some pursuit that we are going after, that we're holding on to tightly, that we need to just let go of, that we need to turn from like the prodigal son. But we're scared or we're, you know, we just want to keep control. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, soften our hearts right now. I pray that, that decisions of repentance would be made even today in ways that maybe no one will see, but that we make with you in our hearts. Lord, we want to come home to you every single day, and we know we're going to wander every single day. And so we, we just commit ourselves to you as our loving Father, Lord. Work even now in those deep places of our hearts where we want to hold on to what we want to hold on to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.